0: Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen and I'm Caroline. And Caroline, there's um, something I've been needing to tell you. Oh, you know, just I just want to let you know that if you're out on the road, mm-hmm. feeling lonely and so cold,
2: mm-hmm.
1: all you have to do is call on me, and I'll be there. Mm. On the next train. Am I screwing up the lyrics already? You no, know, I think you got it. Where you lead, I will follow. Anywhere
3: that you tell me to. If
1: you need me, need, need me to be with you, I will follow. Oh, oh. Hey friends, it's the Gilmore Girls episode. If you couldn't guess. If you haven't turned the podcast off yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sure people are loving it. No one has turned it off. This is one of the most hotly anticipated Stuff Mom Never Told You episodes of 2015. Yeah. And we also timed this episode to publish... The week of Thanksgiving because I know all the gillies out there are giving thanks. That's right. For the reboot.
4: Yeah, the reboot production starts in 2016 and it's probably going to premiere around the same time that the Full House reboot premieres as well. Ugh,
3: who cares?
1: I
4: know. I was never into Full House as a child. Yeah, we're not going to do the the
1: stuff mom never told you analysis
2: of Full House. We
4: could talk about their hair for a long time, but I don't really know how relevant that would be to our brand. How (laughs) wooed? I do like to say
1: that, though. So that's right. Netflix is picking up. Gilmore Girls, yet again, with Amy Sherman Palladino writing it, and it's going to come out not like a, a whole new season, but they're going to do four 90-minute segments, so they're sort of giving it the Wet Hot American Summer Treatment, times four.
4: Yeah, which everybody's really excited about, because uh, something that I had no idea about, because uh, I'm going to... Well, let me admit something first. I haven't watched... The majority of Gilmore Girls. Oh, no. I know. I just heard a lot of heavy sighs, or I'm projecting. I don't know. Uh, But season seven, the last season of Gilmore Girls, was apparently, according to the Internet and fans, a huge disappointment. A lot of that had to do with the fact that head writer, w- w- she's the what, the writer, the producer, director, like the magician. Yeah, I mean, she created the whole thing. Yeah, the show creator, Amy Sherman Palladino, took her leave after season six because the show producers wouldn't give her more writers. There were some other technical glitches going on behind the scenes. So she and her husband, fellow writer Dan Palladino, Said, see you later, hit the road. Season seven happens. Lauren Graham, who plays Lorelei, had much more of a say. Other actors had much more of a say in the writing of the show and the direction of some characters. And people were not not so pleased with the direction the show took. And so there are a lot of cheers and sighs of relief that the actual original show creators are coming back to reboot the uh, the show. And regardless of how... The seventh season
1: disappointed a number of hardcore fans. There's still so much enduring love and nostalgia for Mm -hmm. the Gilmore Girls, and it holds a lot of personal nostalgia for me because Rory and I were the same age, and we both had brown hair, (laughs) and we were starting new, scary, rich people, private schools in ninth grade, and we're... Bookworms. Now, she was a lot more successful with dating, I will say. And she I don't know, Kristen, but we'll talk about that. I'll <laughs> save that. I'll save that for later. I mean, I had no Dean. I wanted a Dean. We all want a Dean, but we are so wrong. Well, yeah, and then I'm so happy down the road that I didn't have a Dean. Yeah. But um, it felt like a very relatable show to watch when I was 15. And it was also one of the only... W B slash C W shows that my mom and I would watch together. Aww. So it was a parentally sanctioned show. It wasn't something like Dawson's Creek that
4: I had to sneak. Oh, yeah, I watched. I watched The Creek. I was I was big into The Creek. Uh, I loved Jen uh, slash uh, What's her name? Michelle Williams. Uh, Felicity. I, I watched all of those W B shows. As, oh, yeah. as a as a young high school student.
1: Yeah, the W B was good in oh, high yeah, school yeah,
4: with the frog. It's got a top hat. to do a little dance. It's a game It's not to love. Well, Caroline, we
1: have a lot to talk about. We got a lot of stars hollow history to cover, characters to discuss, and and plot twists that no one ever saw coming. Yeah. Hashtag secret children. No.
4: Oh my god. I know. So like, as I revealed about myself, I have not uh watched. Most of the Gilmore Girls, uh, I've seen enough to sort of know what happens, know the gist. But anyway, I was reading, I'm standing next to Kristen at our standing desks, and I'm reading like plot summaries and character rundowns from Gilmore Girls, and Kristen just keeps hearing me go like, what?! What? Wait, she married who? Who had an illegitimate child? Who are all these children floating around? What's happening? And so, uh, yeah, today I have learned so much about the drama of Stars
1: Hollow. Well, let's back up for a little Stars Hollow 101, because... I have a feeling that that not everyone is, is, has all of their Gilmore Girls knowledge readily at hand. So Lover of Hats, Amy Sherman Palladino, uh, created Gilmore Girls, which debuted in 2000 and lasted for seven seasons with that infamous Mm -hmm. seventh season that ended in May 2007. And I did not know this. She got her start writing on Roseanne. Yeah. And the whole Gilmore Girls pitch as she recalled to A.V. Club, was just off the top of her head. She had no idea about Stars Hollow and all these quirky characters. She was at the tail end of a pitch meeting. People were getting kind of tired, and she just kind of came up with this idea and threw it out about... A mother-daughter relationship where they are more best friend than parent-child.
4: Yeah, and she said that everybody was really excited about the idea. I don't know if they were just excited to go to lunch, so they were like, "Yes, that's great, do that one." But I'm really impressed that in that 2000-ish or late 90s era, people were willing to go for that—the whole mother-daughter thing. I f- I feel like, uh, you know, anything that's feminine tends to be poo-pooed in the media, so I'm I'm very pleasantly surprised now in retrospect that these tv execs were like yeah feature a mother and daughter and have it be all about their relationship i think it's great yeah i mean well meanwhile over in dawson's creek you did have pacey having sex with a
1: teacher on the desk so this was just playing it safe (laughs) by wb terms at the time um but the whole stars hollow angle of it came together when she went On a fateful trip, ladies and gentlemen, to see uh, Mark Twain's house, and she stayed in a quaint little inn in a quaint little town called Washington Depot, Connecticut, and she realized that this was kind of the setting of where this mother-daughter pair should live, and she even went to a Luke's Diner type of establishment where everyone seemed to know each other. And at one point, one of the customers got up and went to behind the counter to serve themselves coffee because it was just that kind of small town. It was no big deal. The waitress was busy. So they just got up and served themselves. And she was like, this is amazing. Something needs to happen in a town like this.
4: Well, she, she also talks about how when you take this storyline of Lorelei, the mother, getting pregnant at 16 with Rory, who's the daughter, uh, you know, where, where she was saying would I want to run to that is safe, that's welcoming, non-judgmental, warm, it takes a village, all that kind of stuff. Because Lorelei and her parents, who are very wealthy in the show, are from Hartford, Connecticut. And so driving through this little town in real life, uh, Sherman Palladino uh, notes like, oh, this is great. She's not running off to the big city. She's not running off to New York or Chicago or something. She's she's going to a place that's a little bit safer and more supportive where she can build her life uh, with her daughter. And Rory and Lorelai did build a life together with
1: Amy Sherman Palladino's guidance for six seasons. And then David Rosenthal took over in the period that shall not be named. Um, But ever since then, though, she's been carrying around her ideal final four words for the show. And even when she was talking to A.V. Club about the show back in 2005, so before she made her exit, it was clear that she kind of knew the writing was on the wall, that she wasn't going to be there for the whole thing. And she even said that if she wasn't able to stay on for the final season that she would never want to watch it. I don't think and still to this day, I don't think that she's seen it. Although, of course, people have filled her in on what's happened. And she um, said how amazed she was that, in contrast, Aaron Sorkin, after he left the West Wing, was still able to watch the show because she was like, "Mm -mm, no, no, no. Once I leave, like, how how could I possibly watch my baby being raised by someone else?
4: named David. Yeah. Well, yeah, and she does have a couple of, of what I imagine to be like comments with raised eyebrows about like, oh, I've heard things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and we'll get to what the
1: actual final words of the existing last episode of Gilmore Girls is, was, will always be. Um, but back to Stars Hollow. It's obviously a fictional town in Connecticut. P.S. though, it's just a Warner Brothers back What? Yes, Caroline, it's not really a place. (laughs) (laughs) Even though one thing I always enjoyed and my mother especially enjoyed about the show was how they created this whole fake history for Stars Hollow as well. So if you go on the Stars Hollow Wikipedia page, you can learn all about... It's uh historic lore and its founding in 1779 and why it's called Stars Hollow and all the controversy around like one street that was named like. Boyle and soars, Lane. I don't know. You can get deep into some knowledge. You
4: really can not get deep into some knowledge. So when I was doing some background searching on Emily Gilmore, who is Lorelai Gilmore's mother, she's the matriarch, the grandmother, Uh, you know, I'm reading all about her entire character arc, her entire plot arc. And at the end of this website, at the end of this page, there's a bunch of trivia. And it's things like, you know, what she's interested in, who her friends are. But then it gets, it goes like super deep. Uh, and says that uh, we know that she's a Protestant. And if her family had been, and this is this website saying this, if her family had been in Connecticut since they arrived in America, she's very likely Lutheran uh, or Anglican. Wow. Which, yeah, that's some deep fandom, like going to the history of the actual literal state. Well, I've got a little fun trivia as
1: well. Um, so in real life, Lauren Graham, a.k.a. Lorelai Gilmore, and Alexis Bledel, Rory, are 14 years apart. So their age range mm, pretty much squares up, if you round up a couple years. Whereas Keiko Agena, who plays Rory's best friend, Lane, was 27 years old when the show started. So she was much closer in real life to Lorelai's age than Rory's age. So fun with ages. I'm always curious to know, especially in shows where women are playing teenagers, Mm -hmm. whether they're actually teenagers or if they're like thirty.
4: Yeah, and then but some other lane related trivia was that okay? So in the show, she ends up with her guitar player, right? Or she dates. Marries the dude in the band. Marries the dude in the band. In real life, she did too. In real life, she ended up marrying her roommate, who was a guitar player. What I know? Just I'm blowing somebody's mind. (laughs) I don't know. Probably not. I don't know. You guys are like super fans if you're listening. So if we were to to describe what the Gilmore
1: Girls is about, obviously, it's about a single mom and her daughter and them both sort of growing up. Mm -hmm. But it's about so much more, Caroline. It's about class. It's about snobs. Obviously, single motherhood, but also just motherhood in general, especially when you get into the generations of Gilmore women. And it's about Daughterhood, by virtue of that, small town life, going to college, etc. I mean, like, there's a reason why a lot of people our age feel like they grew up with the show.
4: And it's also about community, which gives it that aspirational bent of, like, watching these people be so just so supportive of one another. I feel like anytime a small town is typically portrayed on screen, there's always something nefarious going on, like uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre style, all the way down to just people being jerks and snobs and unwelcoming to outsiders and things like that. Stars Hollow is like the Pinterest version of small town living. And in the very, very, very last episode of the series, you know, Rory has graduated from college and they throw her... Uh you know, not to give too much away if Just go for it. Well they give Yeah, they throw her a a graduation party and it's so like I found myself almost getting choked up at one point, but I didn't because my boyfriend was sitting next to me and he was like, What this is weird. Uh they throw her a graduation party and it's like so heartwarming because everybody just loves her so much and I was like, Oh my god. Obviously these people love these two Gilmore women enough to go through all this trouble to throw them this huge party in the rain. Roy was their star
1: citizen. I know. They adored her and it's such a twist obviously on how we typically think of single mothers being shunned.
4: Yeah. You know,
1: Stars Hollow had nothing but love for the most part for Lorelai. Everyone knew that she was a little bit wild in a way, but she was never she was never snubbed by virtue of being An unwed mother.
4: Yeah. And it was never, yeah, it was never really a thing. Mm -hmm. It was just about people. It wasn't necessarily about their circumstances. Well, speaking of people, Mm -hmm. should we
1: go down the main players? Because really, even though I'm sure that a lot of people listening are familiar with the cast of the Gilmore girls, just consider this a moment to just play the montage in your head of all of your, all of your favorite characters. So if we start with the Gilmore family, of course, there's R- Lorelei and Rory, but then you have Richard and Emily who are Lorelai's parents who start out like really stuffy and they're in their mansion and they have servants who bring the food. Mm-hmm. Um
4: But, of course, they warm up and they become actual people. And, yeah, and we can't forget Melissa McCarthy's character, Suki St. James, who, it's interesting to note, Amy Sherman Palladino originally intended to be a gay character, but that was just not going to fly in the year 2000. So she ends up meeting and falling in love and marrying the character Jackson. And you've also got, as Kristen mentioned, Rory's best friend, Lane Kim, who a little bit more Lane Kim uh, trivia for you. Uh, this character was inspired by Sherman Palladino's real life best friend, Helen Pye, who was also a producer on the show and also had a band. Uh, so like basically Lane Kim is Amy Sherman Paladino's best friend. And then we have the nemesis. Turned BFF,
1: Paris Geller. And I remember almost any time Paris would come on screen, especially in the early seasons when she was just very nasty to Rory. Anytime she would say something, my mother would go, Oh
2: Paris. Uh.
4: Oh Paris. <laughs> she had no patience
1: for Paris.
4: I, I always sympathized with Paris because she, even when I was younger watching the show and, you know, wasn't in therapy yet, uh, there was always something about her that made me feel so sorry for her, that she was so unnecessarily stressed out about things and such a perfectionist. Speaking of our perfectionism episode, which we weren't, but there it is, uh, I always just felt like, God, poor Paris, she just feels like she has to prove herself and be the queen bee. You oh, know? Paris, but she's
1: not like the... The pretty mean girl. She doesn't quite fit in with them. She's not popular, but she's rich. So her family is friends with all of the popular kids' families. Mm-hmm. There was a Paris in my high school grade. There's always
4: a Paris. Ooh,
1: her name rhymes with Schmeredith. <laughs> and then of course, there are the men. I had, I had to Google this. Google all of the men? Yeah. Even Luke. Surely you no. remembered Luke. No, I remembered Luke, but go on. So there's Max Medina mm-hmm. who was Rory's teacher at Chilton, who is Lorelai's <laughs> first boyfriend and the first guy we see propose to her. Lorelai collects proposals just left and right in this show. And then, of course, there's Luke, who is the proprietor of the diner that ultimately ends up with Lorelai because we knew from the very first episode, didn't we, that they were going to end up together. And then there is Rory's biological dad, Christopher Hayden, who Lorelai Marries for a hot second, and that is one reason people hate season seven.
4: Well, yeah, it was such a complicated layer cake of, of bad, I feel like, because she's in love with Luke, he won't get his act together and elope with her he uh she ends up falling into the arms of Christopher who's her daughter's father uh she wakes up the next day she's disgusted with herself luke shows up he's like i've figured my life out i love you i'm ready to marry you and she's like ooh crap i slept with christopher last night and he drives away silently and so then she and christopher decide to get married i think in paris right And then they come back and she and Luke aren't speaking, but then he needs her help to deal with his mystery daughter that he's kept from her. And there's all this drama with his baby's mama. And then she realizes, oh, I still have all these feelings for Luke. And so she and Christopher have to get divorced. What?
1: Yeah, I mean, but Christopher always was kind of left out as an option for her. They always had, you know... There's always tension. Well, Lauren,
4: Lauren Graham talks about how for season seven, she's like, I didn't just want it to be so, we, we, and she, didn't want it to be so obvious that Luke would be the end choice. But of course, he had to be. Of course! There was one boyfriend of
1: hers though that I completely forgot about because he was so wretched. Was a snobby guy named Jason who was a like business competitor with her dad and I think she knew him growing up and he was just awful hmm. and I think I just intentionally forgot about him
4: yeah I had to google all of those guys minus Luke and Christopher uh, and then I also had to Google a bunch of Rory's boyfriends, too. Uh, you've got Dean Forrester. He's in the pilot episode. She meets him at school, like, right as she's like, I'm going to go to the fancy private school and wear a wear a uh, pleated skirt. It's going to be so amazing. And she meets Dean, and that, like, starts this whole drama with her mother of, like, I don't want to transfer schools because I'm in love with this bad boy with a butt cut. Um And he does turn out to be bad boy number one. Oh, was he such a bad boy, though? He's ultimately a bad boy. I
1: thought he was just kind of like, oh, well... Is
4: he the Star's Hollow version of a bad boy? Maybe
1: a little bit. The only... The bad boy moment came when they fell asleep in his car together, (gasps) and she didn't come home. And Lorelai was like, she's repeating my mistakes.
4: Oh, no. Yeah, well, that's... That is definitely... I mean, that is a literal conversation that happens in season one, episode one. Yeah. Of Lorelai being like... Who is this boy? Who is this man friend of yours? This walking butt cut. I know. Such a bad haircut. Uh we've also got Tristan. Um and he that was was that Chad Michael Murray? Yes. Talk about a WB star. He of the squinty face. <laughs> uh then there's the dangerous, dark, handsome Jess, who These are episodes that I definitely caught because I remember watching it with my mother too and being like, he is so cute. Jess was handsome. But he was a bad boy too, right? Jess was definitely a bad boy. He rode a motorcycle, Caroline. And had brown hair versus versus Tristan who was blonde. Well, and Tristan, I don't know that they even
1: ever dated. He just always tried to come between her and Dean. And there was a second when you were like, are you going to date that guy? Oh, no. Well, and then Marty, which is the college guy. This is in college, right? Yeah. And Marty just had like a sustained crush on Rory. And she's yeah. like, mm, thanks. No, thanks.
4: Yeah. She was just like, oh, we're just friends, Um, even though like that was finally a relationship where she kind of got quote unquote relationship where she finally got to be herself. Right. Like she wasn't worried mm-hmm. about being screwed over like she was with Jess. She got to hang out with Marty to watch movies and eat popcorn, but she just wasn't into him. Um, And then, of course, Logan, who everybody loves to hate, hates to love. He of the very wealthy family. He didn't start out being the good guy. But by the end, people are like, oh, well, I can kind of see them together. And then he proposes and she says, no.
1: Logan was always a cheese ball. He bothered me. But I think it was because when I was in like late high school, early college, whenever that would have been, I was just jealous that a guy who looked like Logan wasn't talking to me.
4: <laughs> He's also blonde. Yeah. Yeah. I mean if we're if we're trying to go off like appearance stereotypes. Yeah, it doesn't seem like Rory has a particular type. Uh well, I don't know. There was a so there was this uh chapter in the book Gilmore Girls and the Politics of Identity by Molly McCaffrey and she had a major bone to pick with Rory's romantic choices. I oh. mean, to the point of saying that, cause you know, a lot of people, um, enthusiastically who, who love Gilmore Girls say it's a feminist show because you've got a single mom pulling herself up by her bootstraps, raising a strong, intelligent, independent daughter, all that stuff on and on. And McCaffrey's like, uh, uh-uh. uh, she goes so far as to say it's not only like no I wouldn't necessarily call it feminist but that it's not feminist because of Rory's poor uh romantic choices which I feel like is very harsh because I am someone who is a a feminist and B has made Terrible romantic life decisions. But uh, McCaffrey writes about how uh, she's controlled by Logan and in that relationship ends up falling back on gender roles and concerns about money that really she just secretly wants to live the life of Emily and Richard, her grandparents, rather than the independent life of principles that her mother lives and that uh, she goes so far as to say that Rory has no agency, that she's only ever throughout the series pursued by men, but does no pursuing that. She is superficially perfect judging by her intelligence and her appearance, but that underneath it all, she just wants to be a traditional kept woman. Oh, yeah. I have so many responses oh, to that. Hit, I mean, hit me with some. Okay. So first of all, uh,
1: portraying a, girl who's like 18 to... what? So she graduates college at the end of the show. So she's 22. Yeah, she's 22 at the end of the show. Um, so <laughs> portraying a very young woman as exploring all of these kinds of gender role choices, whether it is something that's more freewheeling like Lorelai or more traditional and DAR like Emily Gilmore, why is that an inherently unfeminist? Because... Should, can, is, it, is there no room? I'm, I'm struggling even with my words. Is there no room for exploration and identity seeking within the idea of gender equality?
4: That's, it, that's exactly what I came away from that chapter with. Um, just feeling like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, we've all made like bad love life choices. I mean, who among us has always dated the perfect person? Obviously, We would have been married years ago (laughs) if we had dated the right person from the beginning. Um, And yeah, like even I've been in relationships where I have been controlled to a degree, but you get out of those ideally and you learn and you grow and you go on to find your perfect person. And so, yeah, I was really sort of taken aback about McCaffrey's intense stand on on Rory's. Character as a whole being a reason why the show isn't feminist. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can see arguments
1: of the show revolving too much around just their relationships with men as being a strike against its feminism. But But it's also, I mean, it's a dramedy on the WB too. Sure,
2: but
4: the core, the core never shifts. The core is still the women's relationships with each other. Yeah, and that goes to not only
1: Rory and Lorelai, but also their best friendships Mm -hmm. with Lane and Suki, with their, you know, Lorelai and her mom. All of these kinds
4: of female relationships being really driving the show. Well, how wonderful, too, though, to see representations of female friendship like that. That there's no cattiness with Suki or with Lane. That these women are there to support each other and sure they might fight or disagree or whatever, but the core, like I said, the core is still the strength of their relationships.
1: Oh, and I so remember in the first season when Rory starts dating Dean and she's all about Dean and Lane feels really left out and how during that time that so resonated with those high school experiences of your super tight girl friendships being invaded suddenly by high school dating which of course is like can just take up all of your time as opposed to middle school dating in quotes when like you're just like talking on the phone for five minutes. Yeah. Um, So should we keep talking about Feminism. I mean, because this yeah. is something that's, I, I think, w- a, an appeal for a lot of stuff I've never told you listeners to the show. Uh, because S.E. Smith, whom we've cited on the podcast before, would completely disagree with the idea that it is unfeminist. So over the Daily Dot, she wrote that it was and is a feminist show without being explicitly feminist, making it appealing to a wide base of viewers who fell in love with characters like Emily, Paris, Rory, and Lorelai without realizing they'd been
4: sucker punched by social progressivism until it was too late. Yeah, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier about simply presenting these characters, these lives, these stories, without having to be like, hey, hey, she's a single mom. Hey, that means she had sex when she was a teenager. There's no, like, there's nothing preachy about it. There's nothing preachy about uh, whether it's the feminist aspect or the girl power aspect or or really any of it, that it's just a show about really real people, minus perhaps how fast-paced and hyper-intelligent all of their conversations are. (laughs) And we should also note, too, how
1: the whole relationship between Rory and Lorelai kind of starts off on a feminist foothold because Rory is short for Lorelai. Lorelai named her after herself, and she also gave her, notably, Gilmore, her last name, and not yeah. Christopher's last name.
4: Well, that occurred to me, too, being a 31-year-old person watching this show, rewatching this show. I was like, <gasps> wait, Gilmore Girls, Gilmore, that's Lorelai's last name, It was her parents' last name. She didn't name her after Christopher. And not, of course, that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, whatever. It was just like, oh, this is totally... She's giving her her full name. And Lorelai, mom Lorelai herself, was named after Richard's mother, Lorelai Trix. Oh, yeah. Quote, unquote, Trix.
1: Um, And in the pilot episode, Mm -hmm. Rory says to Dean about her having the same name as her mom, She was lying in the hospital thinking about how men name boys after themselves all the time. She says her feminism just sort of took over. Personally, I think a lot of Demerol went into that decision. Yeah, so there you have right out of the gate. I mean, Amy Sherman-Palladino and Dan Palladino were making intentional choices with all of this.
4: Sure, but notably, according to a whole bunch of things we read, that is the first of I think two or three times the word feminism is ever uttered in the show. But I I can't be too critical of that for several reasons, but also If Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino are writing this show in a time period when it was not okay for Sookie, one of the main characters, to be gay, then they're probably not going to wave the feminist flag to literally either. And so I can't fault them for writing in that environment. But Sherman Palladino has gone on the record more recently as saying, like, well, nowadays they'd all be gay. (laughs) They'd all be talking about feminism and they'd all be gay. She's (laughs) like, it's just a different... Time now. Well and I think they snuck the feminism in more subtly as
1: Essie Smith noted, whether it was just the basic premise of the single working mom taking care of her daughter in a very well-adjusted and healthy kind of way and not demonizing her for it. But also you have all of the book references mm-hmm. throughout. I mean, one of the things that I personally loved about Rory and so many did was that she was such an avid reader. And one guy, uh, Patrick Lenton in Australia, went through and painstakingly noted every single book reference in the whole series yeah. and tallied up 339 Titles And some feminist standouts include Gender Trouble by Judith Butler, uh, two Simone de Beauvoir titles, Second Sex and Memoirs of a Dutiful Daughter, and A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf. So, I mean, it's it's the feminist vegetables. You're just sneaking them in.
4: Well, and you know what's so funny? Because the show is so notable both for its fast-paced dialogue, but also all of these pop culture references and literary re- references. But I had watched just the very first pilot episode when I read this article about this guy compiling the list of books. And to give you an idea of how many literary references are squeezed into each episode, as I was scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling down this list, I was like, that was mentioned in episode one? That one? That one was mentioned? That one? Oh, she and Dean talk about that book. So, like... There is a lot going on in every episode. So it's no surprise that you hear a lot from fans online who are like, it was such a treat to get the DVD to watch it first, to then get the DVDs and now have it come back on Netflix, because the older you get, the more life experience you get, the more of those references that previously went over your head are caught.
1: Yeah, I mean, and there is literally so much packed into each episode by virtue of the dialogue, mm-hmm. it's very uh, unique, rapid-fire style of dialogue, the likes of which you I didn't see again until watching Scandal, which has a similar, like, staccato, really quick monologue or, style. Well, yeah, and then Aaron Sorkin shows. Oh, yeah. Right? Very <laughs> true. Um, but thanks to Mental Floss, we know that a page of Gilmore Girls' script accounted for just 20 to 25 seconds of talk as opposed to typically a page of dialogue in a screenplay would account for one minute. And Sherman Palladino and, and Palladino, her husband, were very painstaking about the scripts. Like they would all pass through their hands just to make sure that they maintained the exact same tone because it's so I mean, it's unmistakable the way these characters talk to each other. And Lauren Graham and Alexis Bledel had to have uh, like speech coaches just to be able to get all of the words out fast enough and do the back and forth dialogue. Well,
4: yeah. And then people had to go back and review the shots to make sure that there were no dropped words. Because if you're just talking super fast and you don't have cue cards and it's not like you have a teleprompter or anything like that. Uh, and also they had to nail everything. There was no improvisation, according to Keiko Agena, who was talking to, I think it was BuzzFeed. Uh, she had this list of like amazing Gilmore Girls trivia that you never knew or whatever. And one of those things was like, no, this was not, oh, we're chattering because we're going off script and we're, you know, we're kooky and we're just chit chatting. No, it was like this was all very specifically written in this style by those two writers.
1: Well, in addition to the Gilmore Girls dialogue being one of those love it or loathe it aspects of the show, can we also talk about their appetites? <laughs> because I feel like anytime we post something Gilmore Girls related, if someone hates the show, there will be a comment on how they hate how much they eat and yet stay slim. Yeah, And this was something that I was thinking about a lot, especially after reading the essay Past the Pop-Tarts, the Gilmore Girls' Perpetual Hunger by Susanna B. Mintz and Leah E. Mintz who really analyzed their eating in the show and they made some uh, notable observations about how as much as Lorelai and Rory talk about food and especially junk food and pizza and ice cream and all of their favorite greasy delights you never see them eat it you only see the what will be eaten and then the aftermath.
4: Yeah, or what they're eating at like the grandparents' house and stuff like that. Yeah, where they will only like picket the food. And Lauren Graham has said that the food that was served during those scenes was disgusting. So I don't know. Maybe this was like a mercy rule for the actors that, OK, we're not going to literally make you sit here and eat pizza. But that's beside the point. But they
1: read all of this symbolism, though, into their food habits, um, writing that, quote, their flaunted proclivity for junk food is also a stand in for sexuality. Really? It, I mean, they wrote it. <laughs> I mean, I know. <laughs> but w- do you think that? Do you, What do you think? No, I don't think that. I don't think that Amy sherman Palladino was like, we can't show how much they really want to have sex and want to indulge. And so they're just diverting it into food. I think it was a hallmark that she created of their relationship.
4: Yeah, I think it's part of that slumber party aspect. These people are very specifically written to be sort of BFFs beyond just mom and daughter. And part of that is like, hey, girlfriend, you feeling bad? You want some ice cream? Do you want to hang out? Do you want some pizza? Pizza's easy. We can just call. We both work. We both go to school. Like, let's let's eat some pizza. Well, and in a
1: very Carrie Bradshaw kind of way, uh, there's also the intentionality of Lorelai's disdain for cooking. And she does not cook. The only thing that is made, really, in the Gilmore kitchen is coffee. Also, I, even in high school, was concerned about Rory's caffeine intake.
4: Yeah, yeah Luke is super concerned about that. Yeah, there's a scene where Lane, with her drumsticks, walks up to... Rory and Lorelai, and is like, hey, Lorelai, can I practice drums on your pots and pans later? And, of course, Lorelai makes the crack of, like, well, they're not getting used for anything else. Yeah, yeah very, very, like, I love Lucy-ish. Not that I- Lucy didn't cook or whatever, but Lorelai, to me, very much seems like the modern day sort of Lucy. But she's not the only mom
1: in the show who doesn't cook, because think about it, when they go over... To the mansion, Mm -hmm. Emily's not cooking. No, she's got maids and things. Exactly, who bring the food that no one's all that interested in. Um, And I do like, though, how the cook and the caregiver, in the more traditional sense of the word, is Luke. Yeah. A dude wearing a, you know, constant stubble and backwards
4: baseball cap. I know, he looks very much like dude roommate.
1: Yeah, he's got that, like, the plaid shirt and the acid wash jeans.
4: <laughs> Were they acid wash? Now I'm just picturing acid wash jeggings for some reason on Luke, and, and I'm, ooh,
1: I'm loving it. That's quite an image. My mom also, I think, had a little quiet crush on Luke.
4: How could you not? I know. I,
1: I, actually, Luke was not my type. Not a
4: baseball cap. Thing. No. Well, no. But aside from the baseball cap and all that stuff, I mean, what's not to like about, you know, the quiet... The tall silent type, Caroline. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. Well, yeah, kind of the tall silent type, like he's sensitive underneath all of that. He struggles the whole show with figuring out how to love and how to express his emotions. And so it's, it's kind of nice in, in a very like, I'm watching a TV show way of uh, seeing a guy who's struggling with how to deal with his emotions and how to express emotion and all that stuff, but without being a jerk. Because so often I feel like culturally and in the media, if somebody doesn't know how to deal with their emotions, they might be mean or abusive or vitriolic or anything like that. But Luke is very much just the gentle giant almost.
1: And I appreciate how they allow the friendship between Luke and Lorelai to develop.
4: Well, yeah, and, and Sherman Palladino talked about that, too, saying, like, I was not going to rush anything, whether it's Luke and Lorelei or pretty much any other plot development. She wrote about how she just wanted to let things develop and take their time, and when the time was right, she would have it happen. So is there
1: any room for critique on the Gilmar Girls? Is it a perfect television
4: product, well, of course not. Nothing on TV is perfect. Oh, man. I know. A lot of people take issue, for instance, with the diversity thing. Yeah. That there's not <laughs> really a range of, uh, well, sexual orientation for one. We've already talked about that, how that wasn't going to fly with the producers. Uh, but also race and ethnicity. I mean, you've got Lane and her family, who are Korean. Uh, you've got French Michelle, who a lot of people are like, is he French or gay? And Amy Sherman Palladino has said And yes, I'm going to keep using her full name. Oh, I do too. Yeah. Just Amy sounds too casual. It sounds too casual. Uh, But she has said that they, quote unquote, went on the record early in the show by having him say something about liking women or something. But she's like, we never really went back and addressed it because what's the point? Like, you can think about him, whatever you want to think about him. And the actor who played Michelle... uh, swore on his mother's head, apparently, that he never asked the showrunners what uh Michelle's sexual orientation was because it just wasn't important. Again, it was another aspect of the show that was like, we don't need to hit anyone over the head with anything. We can just have the characters be characters. But again, I'm like going back into like, oh, it's so wonderful. Oh, wait, but there was not really any diversity. I know. Aside from the Kims, who
1: some people have criticized as being Too stereotypical, particularly Mrs. Kim.
4: But you have, you and I, Kristen, read so many things from Asian American writers who were like, that was my mother. Yeah. You know, that was me trying to sneak out of the house and put on the band shirt and listen to rock and roll where my very traditional mother was, you know, telling me I was going to get in trouble for all of that stuff. So, so I don't know. I mean, I can't speak to that personally, being someone who did not grow up in a Korean American household. Shockingly. Wait, what? <laughs> I know! The things you learn about me. But that really is the extent of their diversity. I mean, I cannot
1: name a black character who uh, named black character on the show, for yeah. instance. Um And also, when it comes to how the show reflects real life, in terms of Lorelai's situation as a single mother, I mean, she really is living in a utopia, because if we look at the... Real world situation for single moms, like 40% of American single moms are living in poverty. Very few are able to have a massive two story home in a gorgeous town in Connecticut where everyone is ready to help you. And you have the fallback of your very wealthy Mm -hmm. parents
4: who can help send your very smart daughter off to a private school and then Yale. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't. They never really kind of delved into the whole money thing. <laughs>
1: yeah. There w- there would be times when Lorelai was short on cash and especially when she was opening the Dragonfly in. But it would just be a temporary obstacle that would very quickly be solved so we could get back to the relationships. Exactly. Who wants to talk about money? That's so tacky. And then, of course, there are concerns about Rory and Lorelai's relationships of like, okay, is this healthy or are they just straight up codependent?
4: Yeah, I, I thought about that a lot because it's natural for, you know, parents to be close with their children and then the kids start to get older and they rebel and break away. And then, you know, even if they do fix the relationship with their parents and stay close, they're still their own person. They're still independent. But. You wouldn't know it from, from this show. There's no, there's no breaking away. There's definitely like, we're best friends. We never fight. And I was like, God, they never fight. How do they never fight? They have a couple of fights. Yeah.
1: But basically they never fight compared yeah. to my mom and I in high school. <laughs> they never fight. Yeah. Um, and I half expect after the credits roll on the final episode for, Lied to hop in her Jeep and <laughs> hightail it to the Obama bus <laughs> to track down Rory. So uh, yeah, I mean, like, but that, but that's just part of, that's the show. I mean, that's the whole thing is, is their intense close relationship.
4: Well, it's, it's like you've put an Instagram filter on real life and that's what Gilmore Girls is. The stars hollow filter. Yeah. It should
1: exist. Um, but I have a feeling that one of the, the biggest, criticisms of the show at this point are the final words for a show that was built on dialogue Mm -hmm. the final words were i guess so
4: yeah rory was talking about how she wasn't going to wear the world's greatest journalist hat that lorelei got her and lorelei says how will people know that you're the world's greatest journalist i guess they'll just have to read your articles and find out and rory says i guess so and the
1: camera pans back from their table at Luke's, and the screen cuts to credits.
4: Yeah, So, but those were not, shockingly, uh, those three words were not the four words that Amy Sherman Palladino had in mind the whole time the show was going. What do you think the four words are? I love you, too. No, I don't know. Maybe? That's a good guess. Yeah, that's what I immediately thought of. And it's L- Rory saying that to Kirk.
1: It's <laughs> <And laughs> like, what? no.
4: <laughs> Impossible. He's an awkward, he looks like the Bizarro version of Chris Hardwick to me. Kirk? Yeah, I could see that. Yep. Nerdist what- fans. Well, cause I kept looking at him and I was like, what else is this guy in? Like, why do I recognize him? Oh, you don't? You just think he looks like Bizarro. You don't host at midnight.
1: <laughs> You're just Kirk. Um, and I do enjoy, uh, when I see characters like Kirk pop up now on other shows. He's mm-hmm. popped up on something, I forget what it was, but it's always fun to see a Gilmore Girls cameo somewhere else. And I'm sure that those actors hate that they buy people like me or just consider Gilmore Girls cameos <laughs> when ah. they are on other shows,
4: but. Well, so do you think that, I mean, Gilmore Girls has been off the air for a while now and it is coming back on Netflix people are excited about it everybody's talking about it do you think that gilmore girls will go down in television history as one of one of the better ones yeah i think it already has
1: yeah i mean i think that you just can't deny that a show that focused so closely on women's relationships with each other was not and and for so long and in such a a unique kind of way isn't great television.
4: I think so. I D- think it is. <laughs> Despite what my fiancé might say about the Gilmore Girls. Oh, uh, whatever. Our significant others can go watch like Die Hard or something.
1: Yeah, I don't like, I can understand why people uh, don't like the dialogue sometimes, but I think it's fantastic.
4: I think it's fantastic too. Um... I'm a little envious because they pack... I just get so jealous that they've got all these pop culture references that I'm like, I can only catch so many of these. But those aren't
1: our final words for this episode, are they, Caroline? Oh, for sure not. We would be remiss to not talk to some of the Internet's foremost Gilmore Girls experts. Yeah. The Gilmore guys. The Gilmore guys. Kevin Porter and Demi Adegiigbe, who, listeners, if you're not familiar with The Gilmore Guys, the whole setup is that Kevin is a longtime fan of The Gilmore Girls. He watched it religiously when it was out and since, and Demi is brand new to the show, and they're watching it sequentially. And each episode of The Gilmore Guys talks about the next episode that Kevin has seen for the zillionth time, and Demi has seen for the first time. So yes, that means Demi hasn't even seen all The Gilmore Girls. He hasn't even seen Season 7 yet.
4: Don't ruin
1: it. I know. Demi, if you're listening to this podcast, we <laughs> spoiled so much for you. Um, but we had such a great time talking to them about why they love the Gilmore Girls and also just their journey podcasting. Um, and, and one of my favorites to learn was which Star's Hollow character they would be. So thanks so much to Kevin and Demi for talking to us. And here's our convo about the Gilmore Girls with the Gilmore Guys. Folks, we are so excited to introduce the Gilmore Guys to you, too. Gilmore Guys, could could you introduce yourselves to our lovely listeners?
3: Sure. I'm Kevin Porter. And I'm Demi Adigewebe. And we're the Gilmore guys. <laughs> we usually do that a little bit differently on our show.
1: I was wondering if you guys were going to say that, uh, say it in in unison, Gilmore guys in unison. Um, I also felt like Carol and I should be doing like the la la melody in the background as we introduce <laughs> you.
0: I know there's
3: so many things missing. <laughs> oh,
1: I'm so sorry. We don't we don't uh, have all of the bells and whistles. Instead, we just have despair. <laughs> exactly. Uh. Well, for Stuff Mom Never Told You listeners who aren't familiar with your podcast, what is this Gilmore Guys?
3: Sure. So Gilmore Guys is a podcast where we go through every single episode, including including season seven. Of Gilmore Girls and talk about it with special guests with comedians and actors and and uh, writers and people who are big fans of the show and we just get into it and talk about every single aspect of Gilmore Girls.
1: And I like that you went ahead and mentioned that it does include season seven.
3: Yes. Well, I mean, we've been getting that because I think in the very early days of the show, we said like, oh, maybe we won't do season seven. And we keep getting emails about it from people who are catching up. They're like, you need to do it. So just want to put the word out there. Yes, we are for sure doing it.
4: Well, early on in the pilot, actually, both of you seemed a little daunted by just the scale of this project. And you even mentioned that you might be skipping some of the episodes just to make it all the way through. So... What changed? How long did it take for you to hit your stride? And what have been your secrets to your success?
3: Well, arguably, we haven't hit our stride yet. (laughs) We're still (laughs) waiting. We're still waiting on that. Well, Demi can speak to that, maybe, as someone who had like never even watched the show before, what
5: it was like to start it. I think the biggest uh, daunting thing for me was just that I've never ever watched a show for seven seasons live uh like and it felt like that was what it was going to be having to watch a show like this week to week and not really being able to binge on episodes as much as i was accustomed to at that point so doing something like that and then not even knowing if i would like the show from the very early points would be a bit of a struggle but i think when we hit our stride was when I realized I liked the show. And once we realized people were listening and I think that getting feedback and knowing we're not just screaming into a void about the show was really instrumental in having us figure out that this is something that we could keep up as long as we sort of took it, uh, a, a less scholarly approach and sort of made it our own thing and made it sort of brought out the comedy of the podcast and focused on what it was that we loved about doing a podcast and bringing that into what we loved about the show.
1: So, Demi, what was your turning point that transitioned you from this podcast host to a straight-up gilly?
5: I I wish I could remember. I feel like uh, it was definitely something in the early seasons. I was never too down on the show. I never thought, oh, this is an awful thing to watch. But I do remember thinking uh, early on in the show that there were definitely some episodes that ran a bit slower than others, and I was w- wondering how long it would take the show to hit its stride. But I think it was around Rory's Birthday parties, uh episode 6 of the first season. I'm about to I... get
4: to that one!
5: <laughs> it's a very good episode. If you haven't uh, yet become accustomed to the world of Gilmore Girls, I think that's the episode that sort of sinks into it, because it brings all the characters into a central location around a central event, and you kind of get the feel that it's more than a show about three generations of women arguing all the time, you know?
1: Oh, well, then we have to ask the question of what, according to the Gilmore guys, is the Gilmore girls about then?
3: Ooh, in our own words?
2: Yes.
3: Well, I was going to say three generations of women arguing, (laughs) but now I don't know what to say. (laughs) I would say, I mean, gosh, it'd be hard to condense it all, but essentially uh, it is a... A uh, 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 whimsical examination of female relationships. The end. <laughs> I mean, I, I could speak, and I have spoken paragraphs about like what the show is and what it means to me, and blah 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 blah. But essentially, I would say that like it's just about it's a drama. It is a family drama that takes female relationships seriously. Is what I would like like would be the most concise way of putting it. Although I don't feel like that communicates how funny the show is either. How
5: would you put it, Demi? I don't know. I feel like I would just say it's a very funny drama that shows life in a small town as viewed through the lens of three generations of a family. Because I feel like focusing on the female relationships part of it sort of undermines the fact that they don't really try to play it as like Yeah, it's drama, but also they're women. They don't really lean on the fact that they're women all too often in the show, which is one of its highlights. I think the name Gilmore Girls sort of oversells the idea that this is something that only women will understand or relate to. And really, it's just it's just like a lot of other shows on television. The characters just happen to be women.
4: Well, so hallmarks of the show that a lot of people, even if they haven't watched much of Gilmore Girls, uh, the hallmarks that people are familiar with are all of the pop references, the rapid fire dialogue, and of course, the insatiable junk food appetites. So what would you describe as the hallmarks of your show, The Gilmore Guys?
5: I think music drops is one big hallmark of our show. We do a recurring thing where every time we have to give a prediction as to some sort of romantic happenstance, we drop a maroon 5Q and we have to hit, by (laughs) a certain point, the climax of the prediction. So that's one. Um, A lot of our hallmarks, I think, are more hallmarks we do of things out of comedy rather than hallmarks of... I mean, I guess that's what hallmarks of the show are, too, but I would say stuff like that sort of going off on tangents that are less related about Gilmore guys than, or less re- relevant to this show than relevant to our personal lives and what we just want to talk about, I guess. Um, we have a lot of recurring bits that we do. What would you say are other hallmarks, Kevin? I would
3: say that, and then uh, uh, certain getting obsessed with certain clips from the show, and certain bits of dialogue that we just play over and over and over again, uh, to the point where it becomes hypnotic or musical. <laughs> and, and just an oh, such as, uh, Dean in season one saying, nice chicken. <laughs> or right now we're we're obsessed with this clip in season five of Roy saying, is that a new shirt? Cause I like it. <laughs> and she just says that in a very high pitched voice and we just, Play that over and over and over again, almost like to the obnoxious point of being like a a morning zoo crew DJ (laughs) or something, but hopefully towing that line.
1: Well, and guys, guys, you can't downplay the precision of your fashion insights.
3: Oh, of course, The Fashion Report, yes. All, you know, two two guys who know so much about fashion, as you can tell from the pictures we take for our show. Uh, just really getting into, like, all the details of we have no idea what we're talking about with fashion. That started as, like, a joke. I mean, I guess that's the show, too. It started as a joke, and now it's just become, yeah, kind of a cornerstone segment. Um, and then uh something I would other I would say as well would be a segment of the show, is just like making sure we're having a conversation with the audience, with the audience of the TV show and our podcast, because we always try to do uh we always do Twitter Q&A, question and answer, and anytime people have questions about the show or about the particular episode, we always try to get to those. We answer everyone's mail, who mails in, and we do, uh, you know, a whole episode, whole episodes just dedicated to answering people's emails and and whatnot, so so those would be some other hallmarks.
1: Well, and just as a podcast host to a podcast host, I am curious about how much time both of you... Put into the show because you also put out a lot of shows. You have such, um, consistent fan engagement like you're talking about and you're also doing live events.
3: Right. So, I mean, it's different than prepping, you know, it's it, the time that we spend prepping the show before we record is very different than what would be normally required of a comedy podcast just because we want to really do our homework and do our research and prepare the right clips and blah, blah, blah. And so I would, I would estimate, we put in about like six hours of prep work just to make sure all of our bases are covered. That's before we even turn on the mics. So you know, and just examining like, oh, what did people say about the episode when it came out? How was it received? What were the ratings? What else was on WB at the time? What were the promos that they were airing for those episodes? Blah 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 blah. Uh, so you know, we spend a good amount of time doing that, and then also on the post and <clears throat> on the post production, and just making sure it sounds as good as it possibly can be and cutting out stupid stuff that we say.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, one of the most entertaining things to listen to throughout the podcast is how uh, the sort of the hints and wishes, wistful longings for, the second, seventh season to be redone or a reboot of some sort and obviously that's happening now to some extent with the Netflix deal and, uh, Demi, you wrote about this recently in The Guardian and kind of asked this question of like whether the show could work in the context of 2015 and obviously that was more about like, The show picking up from where it left off, but I'm curious to know y'all's perspective on whether just the entire show itself, if we plopped Stars Hollow and picked back up with Rory when she was in ninth grade in 2015, if the show could still work, because there are so many facets of 2015 culture that would just seem out of place, especially technology
5: even outside of the technological aspect of having to update things to sort of fit in the scope of 2015 and the technology we use and the sort of different way that drama plays out i i hate to say it but i don't think a show like this could exist nowadays because it's too it's too placid nothing nothing big happens it's not event television it's the kind of thing that would maybe run as a mini series and then get nominated for a lot of awards but it's not really dramatic enough to see A teenager's life play out in a frankly a fairly calm way for seven years and that's it's lovely to see but it was also lovely to see in a time when that sort of television was all over the airwaves but now it's it's not there as much anymore unless it's got a sort of hook to it like even the podcast we do doesn't work without the hook of us being guys so i think that For a show like Gilmore, where the whole idea is that it doesn't need a hook, it's just a very nice television show to watch, is not as uh, much of a draw in a world where every sort of television show has something to pull itself by the reins.
3: I think Demi is right in that most... TV shows that are on now have to be some sort of concept. So it's taking a thing and putting it somewhere else. So, you know, like the CW, which was, you know, formerly the WB and Gilmore Girls season seven was on the CW. Now, almost everything they do is some sort of uh, genre thing like I zombie Obviously, he's doing zombie stuff. Jane the Virgin is a play on telenovelas. Crazy ex-girlfriend is a, a musical romantic comedy. Uh, and then of course, all their superhero shows and stuff. So I don't know if it couldn't exist at all. It just, I don't think it could exist. For sure, on network TV. I think it would be a very specific sort of home it would have to find on something like cable. Maybe even something like ABC Family, uh, which, of course, Bunheads was on afterwards. Uh, But even then, that got canceled after one season because maybe it wasn't high concept enough. I don't know. I don't know. If that sort of show could thrive, I think the closest, uh, parallel we could see to it also starring Lauren Graham would be Parenthood, which is the only drama I can recall on network TV of the last like five, five to eight years that was just the, the, the log line was, Oh, it's a family, and they go through stuff, and they have conflicts. The end. Like, and it's not... And they're also werewolves or something. (laughs) Like, that. it's just that low concept of a thing. And Parenthood survived for, you know, five or six seasons, however long it was. So could Gilmore again? I'm not sure. But as far as, like... And that's just, like, from a network perspective. Like, from a content perspective... I think definitely. I think the stories they tell, sometimes they hinged on, uh, you know, anachronistic technology to us now. And Rory has lines like, oh, I didn't get your page or something. But <laughs> otherwise, the core of the stories they're telling couldn't, those conflicts couldn't be solved with like a tweet or a text message or something. So I think the core, if they like remade a quote unquote for a new generation in 2015, I think the core of it would be the same.
4: Yeah, kind of like, it kind of reminds me of the show Awkward a little bit. Like, Awkward seems kind of like a little bit of an update. Minus, minus the Lorelei character. Actually, minus the whole, like, female <laughs> relationships. <laughs>
3: right. Well, and then again, Awkward is like, that's MTV. Yeah. Of course. And that's like, the, I don't know if Awkward could make it in a, in a network television model that we have now. You know?
4: Well, do you guys consider the show to be feminist? Do you think it's a feminist show?
3: Uh, you know, I don't know if it's f- for us to say, especially as like two guys, like this is feminist and this isn't feminist. Uh, but I would say that there's definitely strong female relationships, strong female characters are independent. And uh, a metric that a lot of people apply to see how uh, a TV show or a movie is treating its female characters so is something called the Bechtel test. Have you guys heard of this? Oh, yeah. So what we found, and for your listeners who may not have heard of it, it's essentially you just ask yourself a couple questions about a movie or TV show. Are you know? Question number one: Are there two or more female characters in the movie or TV show? Number two: Do they talk to each other? And number three: Do they talk to each other about something that's not a man or the male main character, etc.? And what we found in doing the first season. Um, was that it kind of failed the reverse Bechtel test <laughs> Gilmore girls did in that two males didn't talk to each other until like episode five, which is actually, like not, not something like Demi was saying. It's not something they emphasize and like we're women, blah, you know, it's not a, a focal point of the show, but it's just one of those things that's, that's in a, in a strange way, almost casually progressive. Uh, if that makes sense in that like, oh yeah, let's just have. All the leads, most all the leads, be female, and that they talk to each other. If that makes sense, so I, I think there's definitely some feminist value to it. Of course, Lorelai is like an amazing, strong character, and and they're all like human characters. Mm -hmm. I think would be the best way to put it. Like regardless of this is what a woman should be or shouldn't be or blah blah blah. That Amy Sherman Palladino took care to create these well-rounded, nuanced flawed, amazing people that happen to be women, I think is the main strength of the show.
4: Well, you mentioned uh, casually progressives. Now, Stars Hollow is a pretty straight white town. Do you think Do you think that their lack of diversity detracts from it, from the show at all?
5: I don't think it uh, detracts from it as much as it does paint the idea that this is a very... Uh, very specific view of a small town. It doesn't try to make a point about uh, its lack of diversity. It doesn't really try to make a point of the few black characters it does have. And I don't think that's necessarily a huge flaw of the show as much as it is just kind of this a real reflection of the show creator's sort of life. Like, it's not, you know, she is a white, a straight white woman and she's writing a show about straight white women and and it's sort of... I wouldn't say it's a criticism of the show that it doesn't have too many minority characters, but it does sort of limit the stories they can tell, and it doesn't really... It's one thing that they don't kind of delve into, in the sense that they don't really delve into stories that are so female-specific at times or make a point about female relationships in the show. They can't do... like I think they so much don't want to get pointed about the drama that they have. They want to keep it general that they don't even see the idea that, uh, general conflict can apply to portraying conflict of other races as well, or other sexualities, or even, uh, the conflicts that anyone different than the characters they portray would experience. You know, they just want to present conflicts and stories that are applicable to people of Literally every creed, which means not doing something that is so specific to women, or to men, or to white people, or to gay people, or anyone. It's just, here's a story that applies to a person, and we just have, we just happen to have given the avatar for that person to a female white woman. That was a lot of rambling. I don't know if that
1: made sense. No, that made total sense. Um, since everyone is now asking you two about the Netflix reboot, I am curious to know if each of you could, you know, put a bug in Amy Sherman Palladino's ear and be like, you must do this. I want to see this. Is there any, do you have any kind of like wish list? I mean, also for you, Demi, you haven't even seen the entire show yet, right? right? Yes. Oh my gosh, there's still so much. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, is there is there anything that that you would especially like or something, I don't know, a character you, you wouldn't mind never seeing again?
3: Well, I'll assure you that we have no power, influence, or control over what Amy Sherman Palladino decides to do. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, as far as what I want to see, I don't really have... Any expectations for it truthfully of like, they need to hit this point and they need to do this with Luke and then Jess needs to blah, blah, blah. And then Rory's got a da, da, da. I, because especially too, like in the age of like the reboot and the revival and blah, blah, blah. I, it, it seems like setting yourself up to be disappointed by walking in with too much of that baggage. So, and maybe that's the politician's answer is like, I want them to do whatever they want to do, (laughs) but that is truly my answer. If anything, you know what, here's one thing I would love to see. I would love to see Kirk successful, uh, in successfully running his own business of some sort that is like just a crazy, uh, uh, success story and just, he's huge and, and, uh, and he's a millionaire now. That would be great.
1: That's really sweet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um, one, one thing I'm curious uh, to get y'all's take on is, uh, do you think Suki will be in the Netflix reboot? I mean, Melissa McCarthy obviously is like so huge now and has been kind of absent from all of the reunion stuff.
5: I think if they do, it'll kind of be what they did with Bradley Cooper in Wet Hot American Summer, where he's just kind of there for one or two days filming all of his scenes. And maybe we hear Suki's voice off screen saying things to suggest that she's in the room. But we don't see her as much as we'd like to, Or there are a lot of stand-in shots. Uh, And that's even just the best case scenario. Because in my mind, it's a foregone conclusion that Melissa McCarthy will not be there. Like, which is a shame, but it's also, I think it's understandable, and I, I like to imagine that even though everyone would love to see it and can't imagine the show without Suki, she is not one of the central four, like the central characters of the show, and I think that they could rewrite, or they could write this sort of finale to the show without her being there more than a few episodes like even in the show as we're watching now she's not in too many episodes she doesn't have too many main stories especially when she gets pregnant it's just kind of touch and go and she comes in to deliver a few quips and i think that's exactly what it would be for the new season
4: but her risotto but
5: <laughs> her risotto her, <laughs> her
4: magic the- risotto her magic risotto
5: all she does in the new season though <laughs> she could just make a risotto and then go hey i made a risotto they just play that clip in every episode
3: she just oh, keeps coming around the corner blades, with yes yes <laughs>
5: What a brilliant
3: uh, solution. <laughs>
1: um one one final question I have for you two is uh could you which <laughs> Kevin, which Starz character would Demi be? And Demi same to you for Kevin.
3: Oh dang. Uh for Demi? Well, Demi is uh loyal and thoughtful and contemplative,
5: so I'm gonna go with Luke. Demi would be Luke. Ooh. Which is funny, because I was going to go with Taylor, because you keep the whole show running. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
3: I'm very much the Taylor
5: Dosey of our podcast. <laughs> you are.
3: In the bad way.
1: <laughs> well, guys, those are all of our questions. Are there any parting thoughts on the Gilmore Girls or the Gilmore Guys that you would like to leave our listeners with that we haven't asked you about?
3: Uh, no, you can just uh, check out our show Monday and Wednesdays. It's on iTunes and SoundCloud and wherever you can find podcasts. And and check our website, GilmoreGuysShow.com, for tour dates. And we'll be hitting the road again in January, doing some dates up in the Pacific Northwest and Portland and Seattle. And hopefully coming to a town near you. <laughs>
4: So thanks again so much to Kevin and Demi. I loved talking with them because I am just impressed by such passion and dedication to the Gilmore Girls, honestly. And I mean, it's it's a passion and dedication that so many of our listeners have. So I hope you guys really enjoyed our chat with them. And listeners, now it's your turn. We want to know what you all think about the Gilmore
1: Girls. What are your favorite episodes? Who are your favorite characters? What do you want to see happen in the Netflix reboot and do you think season seven is as bad as everyone else thinks because i you know i think there are some redeeming qualities and do you think it's a feminist show MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is where you can send us all your Gilmore Girls thoughts. And you can also tweet us at Mom stuff Podcast and message us on Facebook. And huge thanks to those of you who sent us some audio letters of the things that you love about the Gilmore Girls. So the listener mail segment of this episode is going to be a little bit different. And we're going to share a few of your letters and Gilmore Girls reminiscences with you right
0: now. Hi Christine Caroline, this is Anna. I'm from Saratoga Springs and a member of a very large family of sminty listeners. I was really excited to see you both recovering Gilmore Girls, which is quite possibly my favorite TV show. Um, in terms of favorites from that show, I would say my favorite moment has to be was in TJ's wedding for a lot of reasons. The Renaissance aspect definitely being one of them. But the first dance to uh, Sam Phelps Reflecting Light was definitely has to be my favorite moment in the series um, just because watching uh, Luke and Lorelei dance. Was really interesting. You see, they start off, you know, with a lot more space between the two of them and a little awkward in their steps. And by the end of the song, you see they're just physically closer and moving smoothly, and you see them get comfortable, which for me is kind of what their whole relationship arc was. Um, So I don't think that was intentional, but that was something I always noticed and really enjoyed when watching that scene. So um, keep sharing all the awesome shows. I listen to y'all every week and I'm constantly converting other people to listen. Uh, Have a great day.
1: So thanks for that, Anna. And next up, we have Liz who shared her Gilmore Girls thoughts. And in a follow-up email, she wrote... I think something about having four brothers and no sisters growing up reinforced my attraction to a show full of female influence. I also got the rare opportunity to visit the set back when they were filming on a WB studio tour, flipped the F out as I stood in their doorway and walked on Emily's driveway and wandered around the gazebo. Total fangirl moment. And here's what else Liz had to say.
2: I am a huge Gilmore Girls fan. I love the wit of the show. I love the humor. I love the intelligence. I love the strong female characters. Um, I think it's great. I've been a fan since it first came out back in 2000. Um, What's kind of weird that I recently realized is it came out in 2000. I was 16. The character Rory is 16. Now... Uh, just a few months out from 2016, and we're only turning 32, which is the same age as the Lorelai character when the show first starts. Um, it's just kind of um, interesting to me that the show is still such, um, you know, a piece of my pop cultural reference and things that I that I think about in relation to my life. Um, it's definitely a show that I keep coming back to. You know, almost every. Life transition, I go through. I end up, um, you know, doing some sort of new binge watch of uh, Gilmore Girls. And as I've done that over my life, it's been interesting to see how, you know, obviously the show hasn't actually changed, but my viewing of it has. And when it first started, I was very much Team Rory in terms of which character I would vote or I would identify with most. So, you know, as a As a teenager, I also went to a private school. I also, you know, wore a uniform every day. I had a lot of similar experiences with the Rory character. And then in college, I think I started to identify more with the Lorelai character. Um, You know, she was, like, doing more dating and whatnot. And now, as I approach the age of Lorelai, is at the beginning of the show, I find myself identifying more with Emily in the show. So it's just kind of this weird influence on my life that I also kind of love because it's such a strong show and it's you know it's something that people kind of are like fiercely attached to it and i'm i'm thrilled to hear that it's um you know supposed to be coming back for a short revival to end the show properly with the original writers and finally
1: Lindsay shared with us her favorite episode kirk's
2: movie enough said (laughs)
1: So thanks again to everybody who's written into to us. stuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with this one so you can learn more about the Gilmore Girls and Gilmore Guys, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit housestuffworks.com. HowStuffWorks.com